Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Happy New Year and welcome back to part two of the Just a Sips Best of 2020. I'm your host, Justin Sylvester, and there is no way around it. 2020 was a show. And despite spending most of our time from home, we still managed to have some incredible conversations. It's safe to say being a parent is hard, especially being a mother. When it comes to our favorite celebrity moms, we often don't realize what's truly going on behind the scenes. Hoda Kotb, one of my favorite people in the world, reflected on the pain of being mom-shamed for becoming a parent in her 50s, while Angela Simmons gave us a glimpse into motherhood as a single mom after a tragic loss. I look at women, I'm looking at J-Lo at 50, killing it at the height of her career. I'm looking at Halle Berry at 49, becoming a mom for the first time. And there's this thing that happens to women in society that they think, okay, my clock is done. This is not for me. I'm too old for this. I can't start my family right now. How did you combat those negative thoughts? Because it seems like that's instilled in all of us. Yeah. I mean, that is something you can't help but do the math, you know, because you're a human being and all you want is for your children to have a beautiful long life. I mean, who doesn't dream it of being at their child's high school graduation, their child's uh, college graduation, their wedding, their first child, all of these milestones you dream about. But I think, you know, when I think about it, like I'm really trying to live in the be here now because yeah. my dad passed when I was um, a sophomore in college and I, I had him for for those years up till my 20s. Uh, my 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 late teens, early twenties, and I felt like I got a rock solid foundation, and I still think about him at this age and wonder what he would think and ask for advice and stuff. So when someone's in your life, I don't know that the length of time means everything. It's like, what are you doing with that time? I think yeah. there are a lot of young parents, and I don't blame them because I would have been the same way, who are running around, running around because you have to do everything. And you don't, yes. you know, you're missing, you're missing a lot of things. So I'm trying to, to put a lot of quality time in a shorter window. Um, yeah. And it's really fun. And I feel like I'm, I'm probably a lot better uh, uh, of a parent now than I would have been um, a while ago. But I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think there's yeah. something about 
figuring out exactly what you want at the perfect time because yes. you're not second guessing. This is not yes. a, a something that you're doing for a spouse or a parent yes. or approval. It's like, I'm doing this for me. I received a, a letter addressed to my home with a return address I didn't recognize and a handwriting I didn't know. Usually when you get a letter, it's from someone you know. And, and I you opened it. I opened no. it. And well, yeah, I opened it because I was like, oh, because sometimes people will send like a, I, I took a picture with them somewhere. Will you sign it and return it? You know, sometimes they do that. I, yeah. I don't know how people get your home address, but who cares? I don't know. So I had just opened one with a, just like that, with a, with a picture in it for someone who I had met and I signed it and I put it back. They put a self-addressed one inside. I sent it back. Easy. I opened the second one. And it was this woman who started off with kind of um, like, how dare you? And I was like, what? Like, huh? And she said, I can't believe that you thought it was a good idea to become a mother, you know, in your early 50s. Uh, What kind of a, and she just sort of went off. And I was reading and I was looking at handwriting and it was a person with a pen and a paper and they sat at a table and they wrote it and it said, you know, if you didn't do the math, I'll do it. When they're in high school, you know, you know and they, she literally wrote all this down. And she read, she read you in the letter. Yeah. And what happened was in that letter was, of course, those are my worst fears written down by some person I don't know. But she wasn't a coward. She signed it. And she did have her return address there. I was so upset that I shredded it. I, I literally tore it up sitting there. I was by myself in the living room. I just tore it up. And I was trying to forget it. But inside, I was thinking to myself, and I thought about it again. And I'm thinking about it this moment right now. It was probably like, it was probably three or four weeks ago I got it. And I thought, why am I so upset? Well, I'm upset because someone wrote that. And I think I'm upset because it was one of the things I'm the most afraid of. And someone wrote it down. And I know they berated me about it. It was just the fact that that's something that scared me anyway before she wrote that. Anyway, some things get stuck in your craw and you try to shake it off, but we're human and it hurts. So you just go about your day and you say, well, I love my kids harder today. I hope she's wrong. You know, I wish that you had called me. I have this thing called phone a gay friend and it's for women and I give everybody a pass. And whenever you're feeling like you are not sure about something and you need a gay in your life, but you don't have a constant gay who's going to tell you the truth, you can go ahead and call that hotline and I will answer and say phone a a gay friend hotline. And as your friend and as the person planning your bachelorette party, as we've already established, I would have told you to keep that letter. Mm. And every year, on your daughter's anniversary of her adoption. I want you to write this woman and tell her not only all all of the joy that she has brought to your life, but all of the joy that you bring to hers. Mm. And I want you to tell her the mistakes you made that year, the person that you have become from those mistakes and how you won't repeat them the next year. I wish you would have kept that address. I want to cry. When I cut this and send it to your daughters in 15 years, when they're old enough to understand the things that you have been saying today, what message do you want to leave them with? Do not do this to me. No, I want to know. I want to know. 15 years. You have given me so much to think about in this. And I know one day they're going to Google you and look at this interview. Okay. Alien hope. Um, well, just that they made me 
the happiest I've ever been. That's it. I love you. I love you. I will see you on that set. Okay. Look at us crying like two <laughs> fools. <laughs> Everyone make some noise for Angela Simmons. How are you? I'm good. I am pretty good. How hard is it dating having a son now and being a single mom? Um, It was hard before that, but having a child, now you're like dating with super intention. You're like, mm, I don't know if I can see you around my kid. Mm. You know, it's so many things you put into perspective and then you don't know. You have, they have to love kids. They have to want to be around. They have to want to be a role model to my kid. Like, there's just a lot that comes with me and I know that. So... I'm sure this this search or whatever is not going to be easy, but it's cool. Like, I'm good right now. You ready for the ride? Yeah. I mean, why not? A few years back, you tragically lost the father of your son, Sutton Tennyson, to a senseless act of violence. Did you ever in your life imagine that you would be a single mother? No. Extremely hard. Um, I... A, I come from my my family split, so I have a stepmom, stepdad, mom, dad, seven siblings. Like I got the whole shebang, and I was like, you know, when I get older, I had a great life growing up, but I was like, I'm gonna never get a divorce, and I'm gonna get married, and I'm gonna have my kid. You know, like I just had this idea of what life would look like, and it didn't turn out like that. You know, yeah. and I never could have imagined that his dad wouldn't be here to share him growing up in the moments. You know, with me, it's yeah. extremely hard. I mean, like my kid ask for his dad my kid is he gets it you know you would think a three-year-old is like doesn't but he's smart and he misses his dad and he wants to see pictures and he wants to see videos and it's it's very tough were you planning on having those conversations with him later in life and did it just hit you that he was like oh wow at three years old you're ready to talk about this like how were you preparing yourself to have those tough conversations i knew it was gonna come <clears throat> i didn't know when I know it started at two where he was like, is my, is he alive? And then it kind of, now we're at, I miss my dad. I want my dad. I miss my dad. You know, like in those moments come, he'll wake up in the middle of the night, could be at any time. So I wasn't sure when, and I'm still not, because it's a journey. You know, when someone is not here anymore in the physical, the explaining, you just have to keep going because you want your kid to always trust you before anyone else. Yeah. So... It's it's going to be an ongoing journey for me, and it's not easy, but, you know. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, you said you had this plan for your life. Plan. Like you had, like, oh, yeah. Because when, when you have a plan, by the way, God loves to throw a wrench in it. Yeah. And, like, you know, like, it's not going to go accordingly. But, you know, you had this white picket fence, and I'm going to meet the guy, and I'm going to get married, and I'm going to have a baby. Oh, it was and perfect. It, it was perfect. How are you... As an adult and as someone who's older and more lived, how are you changing that for yourself? Or are you still putting that pressure on yourself to have that perfect life? I don't want perfect anymore. You know what I mean? I think I want what makes sense for me. And I just, I'm at a point where I would, I always say never say never no more because you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah. We have plans. People who have passed away have had plans. You literally have to live day by day and like to your best. And that's yeah. just what it is. Like, I can plan, but God, I always <laughs> laugh because I'm like, but God has a whole nother plan. You know what I mean? Like, it's so many things that I thought would go one way that completely just went the way it went. And yeah. I'm, 
I'm okay with it now. I've grown and I've just realized that like, yo, it's not going to happen that way. You have to do things. However, it does happen. You could put in all your best effort and whatever comes out of that, that's how it's going to go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What advice would you have for people who have gone through loss or who are, you know, raising kids on their own right now? I would just say it's a process and not to put too much pressure on yourself. Right. Because you want to just say, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. But it's okay to have those vulnerable moments, too, where it's like, like, okay, I don't, today's the day where I'm kind of sad about this and I'm mad about it. Because you go through different um, emotions with loss. So you, you know? let yourself go through the to. anger and the and the you despair. Have you have to, or you're going to find somewhere else to let it out at, right? Yeah. Or it's going to come out at the wrong moment. You're like, I don't know why I was so angry there. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, you know what happened? I'm mourning this and I'm going through that. And, and it could just come through so many different ways. So I just feel like it's important to allow your emotions to be what they are. Are you obsessed with Juicy Exclusives? Because I am too. And 2020 gave us lots of reasons to sit back and listen to someone else's drama unfold. Girl, J. Manuel exposed America's Next Top model, honey, and gave us all the tea. And Luann Delaceps shared shocking new details about her arrest. You know, the culture behind the scenes of the show, which is something that I do very... I think accurately portray. It started off, you know, bubblegum and roses and everyone was happy and excited and we thought we'd maybe only get two seasons and that was it. And then the culture behind the scenes really shifted with producers and talent and behind the scenes there was like a fear culture developed. Yeah. Something I never ex- something I've never experienced anywhere else. I've worked for several different shows. I've hosted other shows. I worked at E for how many years? That culture did not exist for me, you know, even in the E environment behind the scenes. But there was on top model, there was a bit of this fear culture. So I kind of had to go along with it. But what people don't know, and I only very recently said this, I mean, as in like three days ago, because uh, someone said to me, Well, you stayed there to cycle 18. Why were you there till cycle 18? And I said, well, what people don't know is when my contracts were up after cycle eight, I was free and clear to do whatever I wanted to do. And they wanted to renegotiate four more cycles. And I reached out to Tyra first because she always asked me to speak with her first. Never, We would never want to go through our people, our agents, yeah. our lawyers. And I said, unfortunately, I can't come back to the show. I feel like I've, and very genuinely, I said, I feel like I've given all I can to the show and, um, and I'm going to work on other things. Tyra's a businesswoman. I thought for sure she'd understand it. it was a, I thought I was being really lovely yeah. and respectful. Yeah. She um, absolutely, she just had two words for me. I'm disappointed. And that was it. That was the end of the discussion. And they were between cycles. They had three months. And so they screen tested other very well-known fashion people for my role. And uh, I won't say who they were, but it's not hard to figure out who some of them were. And then literally two weeks out of production. So we're going months down. And I've not told this story in this detail. So you're getting the scoop on this one. Uh, Literally, I hadn't taken a vacation in three years. So I was on a vacation and they were two weeks from their production. And uh, my attorney at that time called me and said, oh, they've come back and asked, could you do just one cycle? Just one cycle is a one-off until they find the right person. And I said, unfortunately, I took another commitment, as you know. I agreed to do this one-off cycle, which I was just going to be talent, but I wasn't producing the shoots. This was cycle nine. When we went to China and everything, I did not produce. It looked like I was producing like the same role. The audience didn't notice a difference. 
But they told me, you'll show up. Everyone's happy you're back. So I, when I flew in, saw the producers, we did the casting on a cruise ship. It was a horrible experience. But anyway, I show up and they said, everyone was acting normal with me. And they said, it'd be fine. And I knew Tyra was upset. We'd never not talked for a period of time because we used to talk every day. Yeah. You know, then when I show up, we'll catch this, Justin. She walks in, I flew in. So the first time I see her is walking onto set, you know, the panel we do in casting. Yeah, yeah. And I just said, hey, I'm so glad you're here early because I just want to walk right by. Like, <sighs> did not talk to me. And I was like, wait, maybe she just didn't hear. I thought there's no way she ignored me. I thought because she was talking to someone, she just didn't hear me. So I sit down at the judging table, which is small. It's me, her, Miss J. And I start to talk to her and she's like, oh, you know, Miss J, oh, Ken Mock, blah, blah, blah. She's talking to people, but just not talking to me. Wow. And I instantly, my heart went in my throat. It's a very painful experience. And um, I've never talked about it before. And I couldn't talk about it contractually before. And then as soon as the cameras rolled, it was all love and light and looking at me and touching me. Tape change, back turned. And we went the entire Damn. cycle until... The second last episode with which when she called me into her, I got a message to come see her in her hotel room. And to be fair, she apologized and said, I wasn't being professional. I am an executive producer. You are talent here. I should have been more professional. And she apologized. Um, but things weren't great. And yes, after that, they uh, they said they would like me to come back. And I did agree to sign on for a few more cycles. And But I couldn't talk about all of this contractually, you know, and it was just it never really recovered. And it wasn't it wasn't fun. The second half of my term there. Lou and Ellis everybody. <laughs> I always wanted to ask you because you don't need the money. You could have sat a season out and licked your wounds and hide, hid the story from everybody. What made you go back to Housewives? You know, uh, it was just part of my reality and part of what happened to me, and it was painful. And I chose to see it as an opportunity to improve myself and work on myself. And that's exactly what I did. You know, I, that's why I went to rehab and I stopped drinking. Everybody's, uh, you know, rehab gets such a bad rap. But let me tell you, it was the best thing I could have ever done for myself. Damn. And taking care of myself. And and so, you know, I went back to the show because the women also were very supportive. You know, they yeah. were nurturing and helping me. And, you know, which is not always the case. No, nope. <laughs> no. Nope. As you know. So I just felt, I felt I was going to be okay with them and filming. And so I, I went back and, you know, listen, you can stay at home and hide under the covers uh, or you can get out there and face your fears. And that's how I live. Now, looking back on it, because looking at this season and last season, you start the season off where, spoiler alert, you're, it's the end of it. It's over. You are starting your life anew. Yes. Looking back on the whole process, what was the worst part for you? Probably the worst part was having to deal with, you know, my family and, you know, the kids. Yeah. And it was a lot for me to go through. But think about my children, you know, it was it was really tough. So that that was the hardest thing. And um, and I just feel like it's brought us even closer as a result, you know, and now this pandemic, you know, yeah, <laughs> my kids a lot. You know, I was on tour and I was filming the housewives so i was very very busy so i'm very happy to be home and just um 
be, you know, spending quality time with my family at this point. You yeah. know, it could have happened to anyone would happen to me. And, you yeah. know, the police officer, by the way, that arrested me is in jail. For what? Making false arrests against people. No. Yeah. Karma's a bitch. Luann, yeah. how long has he been in jail? You know, and I really haven't talked about it because, you know, I was still going through finishing my probation. So I didn't want to raise any, you know, yeah. awareness to it. But the day I got off probation is the day I found out that he went to jail. Hold on. Yeah. And you know what? That's probably for the best because had you been halfway through probation, maybe you would have tried to fight it. Maybe you would have tried to reopen your case. But right. the universe let you get through that. Right. And then showed you this situation. That is some yeah. crazy Yeah, I know. And I'm not the kind of person who kind of dwells in the past. So I just said, I acknowledge the past. Of course, you have to acknowledge the past so that you can move on and be changed, you know, change it up. Yeah. Uh, but I don't dwell in the past. So I've just kind of moved on. Um, I was going to write a book uh, and now is the time to write a book, but I just, I don't know. I just don't want to dredge up all that stuff again. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I just got through it. And so maybe not right now, but I think I'm going to write a book eventually about this whole thing. So people know exactly what happened to me. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Look, there's no way around it. 2020 was not a normal year, to say the least. And we literally spent most of our time at home. For some, including myself, it cost us to reflect on mental health. Lele Pons detailed her daily struggle with OCD and Tourette syndrome, and Miss Utah, Rachel Slauson, is breaking the stigma about living with bipolar disorder. Two conversations you do not want to miss. Why did you keep it a secret for so long? And what made you want to let that secret out with all your fans? I kept it a secret for so long because I was really embarrassed. Um, I, I, I didn't want people to see me really like like different and treat me like a like a patient and and treat me differently. And then like you know, God, I don't know. It's just like I've had really bad experiences in the past, like when I, when I was little with OCD and like people judging me. So I was like, I had that in my head for a while, and then you know, it got to a point that I couldn't function anymore. And my my managers and my friends kind of noticed, and I had to be like completely honest with them. But they took it in such a good way, like they they, they were so supportive that it kind of like made me realize that like maybe there are people that are super supportive of this. And uh, I opened up to a lot of people, and then I met other patients that have OCD, and they knew who I was. And I kind of motivated them to actually get help, to push themselves to get treatment and medication. And then they said to me, "This is true." They were like, "You have a big platform. You yes, you do videos." Of course, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. But you 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 haven't used your platform for any causes for to like do a big movement. And it's the truth. I am an influencer, but I haven't done anything of like that and used my platform for something that like that helps a cause. And I was just like, this is so dear to my heart. I have to do this, and I have to do this in a very good way, not just one video. I want to do this and and, and bring my my therapist and, and and put a link there of how to get help. And I think it's something that took me a while, but. 
I'm happy that I'm educating um, a lot of people. Kids. Yeah. yeah. And this is like, I want to make this clear because a lot of times when we talk about mental health in, you know, in this day and age and the social media day and age, something happens and a celebrity comes out and says, I just find out, found out that I'm struggling with anxiety. This is not something that's new to you. You have been dealing no. with this since you were how old? I think like before 11. And when did you get diagnosed? Um, it says there I got diagnosed 2008. No, like somewhere around there. Somewhere yeah. around 2008. Very young. Very young. How did you first notice that you were different? I first noticed that I was different, uh, well, uh, in school, you know, like I would, you know, people usually drop their pencil and pick it up and continue with their test. And I would pick, like drop my pencil by accident and like pick it up, drop it again, pick it up, drop it again. And I, I couldn't focus. And my, my teacher was like, stop doing that. You're distracting the class. And then when I was sharpening my pencil, I would do all, all the pencil in and <laughs> like the whole pencil wow. would be, uh, yeah. And like, that's, annoying for, for, for everybody. And then I would get stuck in places and it couldn't stop touching. And you know, that's so weird. Everybody was just like, why are you touching that? Like, and I'm just like, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> you don't know when you're little, you don't know what the hell's going on. You don't know why you're doing things that you're doing. And, and that's what happened with OCD. But that's why it's so important to educate everybody. If they have their condition and they're educated on what they have, then they know that what they're doing is, you know, it's not that you're weird. It's because you have a condition. You know, and yes. it's important to know, like, no, 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 this is why I'm doing this because I have this, you know? And when I yeah. found out, I was like, oh my God, thank God that I, that there's a, there's a cure, like not a cure. There's, there's are people like me, that it's just not me alone that is doing this. And there's no explanation. There is an explanation. When you're behind those YouTube videos, it's, you're scripting it. You're, you're making, this, yeah. you're making this content. What was it like moving into this realm of being real and being raw? Uh, it's, it's the first time I do it. It's kind of easy because, uh, I'm not acting. It's just be yourself. <laughs> it's hard. It's, easy. Be... it's easier in that sense to film. It's harder to put out. Well, oh, wait, explain that to me, please. You it's said easier it's to easier film. to film it. Yeah. Because you're not, you're, it's, it's just filming yourself. You know, you're, people are just like filming whatever's going on now it's harder to put out because it's so raw. It's so unfiltered. You don't know. You're literally letting people in your, to your life. What was the hardest part for you to let go and to let people see? I think um, my, the fourth episode, uh, me so vulnerable about the, the, the bad comments. That's hard for me because I'm, 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 I'm giving kind of, I feel like I'm giving like, the haters like happiness by them seeing that they have affected me. But I, I do want to show that we all go through it. And because I always thought of like, oh, they don't affect me. I always like say ignore them. But I want to show people that like people that have been like also bullied, like I'm vulnerable too. And like you, you being sad about something is okay. You know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's something that, and I hope that people will see that, that it words and, and stuff do um, affect, affect people. people. Yeah whether it's me or whether it's somebody else. I think it's important to show that because I, I, I've never done it before. Pour yourself a drink, get yourself situated because this conversation with Rachel Slauson is about to go off. <laughs> okay. You were the first woman 
to compete that's a part of the LGBTQ community who um, is winning at living with bipolar disorder, who also was homeless, who beat a eating disorder. Like, bitch, you survived some you, know, you survived some I told my coach I was scared to lose. And he was like, Rachel, you were homeless. Like, I think you can lose a pageant. <laughs> right? But the one time, there was one time where you lost, where you almost lost your life because you sank so low. Tell me about that night. Yeah, so that was the second time I competed for Miss Utah. I had spent the entire year becoming what I thought they wanted. And then when I lost, it just, it broke me, you know, because I had really tried to fit myself into this mold and then it still didn't work. So it broke my heart, you know, but it also was the place that I really rebuilt myself from. And it's, I think why I can lose something as big as Miss USA and still continue on with my life because I know who I am as a person and I also know what yeah. I can offer. And I've learned that from losing, you know? It's it's in those moments when you aren't chosen that you get to remember why you chose yourself to begin with. I'm not in the pageant world. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this question. Do you feel the pressure eternally to present a certain way? Or do people say, girl, you're never gonna make it if you don't do X, Y, Z, pretend to be this person, that person, and that person? In all honesty, you know, there's always that thought like, well, maybe if I was a little less myself, maybe I would have done better at Miss USA. You know, that thought's crossed my mind over the last couple of days because I am so outspoken yeah, you know. about, you know, that aren't yeah. always brand friendly. But I think ultimately I wouldn't have been able to make the impact I've made in people's personal lives this year if I had held back in any of my truth or any of my stories. So that matters to me more than, you know, fitting into a specific brand. Now, how did you figure out that you were bipolar and was it like a aha moment because i have a friend who just figured out at the age of 40 something that she is mm -hmm. dealing with bipolar and she said that she had all these aha moments that explained a lot of her life and a lot of her childhood that she didn't realize yeah i mean i was diagnosed multiple times before i finally accepted the diagnosis. I think that, you know, when I heard doctors say, oh, I think you might have some form of bipolar disorder, that just sounded really scary. So I was yeah. like, cute. No, that's not me. You know, I'm fine. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and I continued on in my life until I ended up having a manic episode. I've only had one real manic episode, but it's far scarier than being suicidal. Like it's the scariest thing I've ever experienced. I lost touch with reality for like three or four days. But in those three or four days, like 20 years happened, like time was completely distorted. And it was terrifying. And so it wasn't until that happened that I finally accepted, okay, there's something different about my brain that I should probably accept. And, you know, I, I started really advocating for my own treatment at that point. And, you know, I haven't had a manic episode since then. And doctors are optimistic, actually, that I might not have that happen again. So you know, there's there's sort of this death sentence that happens with bipolar yeah. disorder, but if you actually receive treatment, especially at a younger age, there's a lot of potential for your brain to heal. Wow. How did you know that you were having a manic episode if you've never experienced one? So I thought that Elon Musk was coming to pick me up in a spaceship and take me to Mars. You were there. Yeah. So I was like, I was genuinely like looking around waiting for Elon and my friends were like, Elon's not coming. <laughs> oh, okay. It was, it was that deep. 
yeah, it was pretty bad. And that was just like the beginning of it. It, it. The whole experience lasted for a couple of days. So it wasn't really until it was over that I realized that maybe something had happened. Because in the middle of it, you're just like, you think life is like this exciting adventure. Sure. And I'm like thinking Elon's coming, you know, and I... I <laughs> I tried throwing, um, I was actually a flight attendant at the time. So I, I tried throwing a Christmas party at the hotel that I was staying at. I told the pilots I wasn't going to work and that I was going to have a party instead. And so I didn't go to work. I started inviting strangers to a Christmas party and then, um, you know, sat down to wait for Elon to come get me. And it wasn't until paramedics came to get me that I, you know, I discovered that we weren't, we weren't having the same experience. <laughs> Me in the outside the world, you know? This season, we also got to hear real-life stories of resilience, which allowed people to persevere and achieve their goals despite difficult situations. One of those conversations, Nikki Jam shared her struggle of overcoming drug addiction and rising to international success, while Greg Kelly never gave up after being wrongfully accused of a horrendous crime. Take me back to the beginning of your addiction. When did you start? How were you introduced to drugs? Okay, well, I saw drugs in my house since I was uh, five, six years old. You know what I'm saying? I went to Puerto Rico. Uh, when I was in Puerto Rico doing music and all this, uh, I had my first girlfriend, and uh, she left me for some reason, uh, probably for an uh, older dude because I was uh, younger than her. She was 18. She was in college. And it was like, it, it hit me hard because my yeah. mom left me. In my mentality, my mom abandoned me, and then this girl left Another me Another person doing the same thing. So I saw this guy next to my house, and he was uh, he was doing uh, cocaine. Yeah. So I, I I asked him like, "Yo, what is that? Can can, can I can I?" Because I was like, I didn't care anymore. Like, you know, I fell in love with somebody, and they left me. So I'm like, and I I started doing cocaine when I was 15 years old. And you did it often. And I did it often. I went crazy. And I went really crazy. I was already smoking weed when I was 11 years old. People don't understand that when you grow up in a community where drugs are present, everybody is on drugs. Yeah, everything is And everybody is, is knows normal. that everybody's on drugs. It's normal. It's normal. Tell me about the highs of it all, because obviously you did it for so long. There must have been, like, when that career first started, the partying, the girls. Like, what was that like to be in that game at that time? Well, when I was uh, 20 years old, I was in the top of my career in, in, in Puerto Rico, obviously locally in Puerto Rico, yeah. nationally. I was only famous in Puerto, Puerto Rico. Rico. And uh, I was making money. I was making like probably, I don't know, $5,000 a show. Imagine three shows a Friday, three shows a Saturday. That's Raking a lot of money for it's a 20-year-old kid in, in those years. Yeah. We're talking about uh, two, uh, 1999. We're talking about 98, 97. You two chains at that point. Yeah, making all that money. So uh, obviously, I was I was already doing drugs, and uh, I went I went crazy. All the girls, the drugs, the excess, the, ex the the fame, and I was with Daddy Yankee in that moment, uh, doing uh, music because we were we were like a, we were we were called Los Cangris. You guys were a group. We were a group, and um, I mean, I started messing up too much. I mean, messing up in ways that you don't imagine. Like, you know, like I wasn't going to t shows, TV shows, uh, getting late to places. Because you were late. Sometimes they can find me for two or three days. Damn. Um, you know, just the drugs would drive me crazy. And then I, I caught a case because they caught me with a gun. It was a problem with attempted murder and all that. Uh, they gave me six years in, 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 in Puerto Rico. 
and I did three. There's something that happens in your life, and you get this unbelievable second chance from God, and you take it, and you run with it. What was that second chance? Well, they called me once uh, to go to Columbia to do a show. I was confused. I thought it was somebody in the back coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, who's coming here? You know what I'm saying? Who, and they were crazy. And I started singing my classic songs, my old songs, all the songs they were hits. But the reason why they were classic is these were the first big hits. You yeah. understand? Daddy Yankee and Nicky Jam, we started this game with a whole bunch of other rappers back in uh, 92, 93. So and you this didn't was, realize This it. was 2005. Imagine all the hits I had before, before 2005 and 2006. No, this was 2008, actually, 2008. So I got on stage and I felt that love, and it was hard. it was crazy. That same week, I did like six shows. So I said, you know what? I ain't going back. I'm gonna stay in Columbia, man. You they stay say, in Columbia. They say I'm a legend. <laughs> I'm a fat legend. They cool they with say, this 220. They, they they don't care that I'm fat. They love me. Uh, I'm doing shows here, and it's cheap here to live. I'm going to stay in this country. Because so you're I, a king. I started doing shows. I started doing shows and still having the problem. And one day, uh, when I turned to 30, 30 years old, my, my 30th birthday, um, I went crazy, and I did so much drugs, so much drugs. And I had a problem. Woke up the next day, uh, and I had a problem with, I don't know how to say it in English. Mobility. You, know, you couldn't pick it up. I couldn't. I couldn't move my, my hands. I couldn't even talk. It was like something weird, something I, something I messed up in my brain. Because you went that hard the night I before. I went so hard. I think the whole, all the years, you know what I'm it saying? It caught up with you. It caught up with me. So uh, I got scared, so I went to a, a brain doctor. A neurologist. That word is hard for me. But <laughs> I went there, and um, even getting an appointment with one of those doctors is it's hard. hard. You got to wait for a month and all that. So I went there, and he looked at me, and he said, look, I'm going to tell you this. I don't find nothing. But if you say you feel that, I'm gonna tell you this, or you stop doing drugs, or you dying. Simple as that. He told me that, and it was a wrap. Okay. You and you stopped cold turkey. Yeah. No, I, I called my dad because my dad already stopped doing drugs years ago, and I'm like, Yo, dad, I need you to help me. I want to stop drugs, but I need you to lock me in a room and do it and help me because he knew the struggle. He knew he struggle. knew how hard so it I was. needed somebody that knew about this, and nobody better than family. Everybody, please welcome. Greg Kelly. Thank you for having me. What was happening in your life when you were 18? Man, when I was 18 years old, I think I missed the transition period. I think I went from a kid, an adolescent, to becoming a man really quick. And, um, it, and it wasn't because, you know, I had to become a man to conform to society. I had to become a man to survive. Yeah. You know, I had to become a man to not be labeled something in, in a place full of hate, full of racism, right? Full of um, criminals. And so at 18 years old, there was one part of that year where I was a high school kid who just wanted to make good grades, who wanted to go play college football, who wanted to get out of Leander, Texas and go make something of himself. And then within one week, I am a labeled child molester. I don't know how an 18 year old um, even fathoms or prepares to start fighting against false accusations like that. But 
we uh, I had to do it really, really quick, man. Knowing that you were innocent, when was the moment where you thought, holy this is actually going to happen to me? Because I feel like you held your head high throughout the whole thing. And then there was one moment for me where I thought, oh, maybe this is the moment where he thinks might get real. When did you right. lose hope in the justice system? I lost hope in the justice system when they accused me of a second child. Um, that right there, it felt like the first child was like, man, I didn't do it. I had nothing to do with this. You got the wrong guy. You made a mistake. Go find the truth. But almost exactly one month later, I'm in, already in an alternative school. I was kicked out of the high school. I couldn't start my senior year normal, right? Wow. So I had to start my first day of school at this learning alternative center that the district has where kids that are troublemakers go to. And then so I had to start my first week of school there. And my first week of school, I ended up getting handcuffs slapped on me again in class and for a second child. And at that moment, I was broken. It felt like I was somebody was trying to kill me. You know, somebody was literally coming after me and that I lost all hope that they're going to figure this out. Maybe rewind it for you guys. Let me give you all a little bit of history again for those of you who are just joining us. At this point, Greg had moved in with the family, the McCartys, the mother and the son, and they had ran a daycare business outside of this home. Greg had then been accused and convicted of molesting a four-year-old child. And the plot twist was that this could potentially have been done by one of his friends who he trusted. You guys were like brothers. Yeah, he was like my little brother. And this man sat there, this kid watched you go to jail for a crime that you did not commit. Yeah. Okay, and you talk about forgiveness. I'm sorry, I could not forgive that. I tell you what, man, I'm telling you right now, without the love of God and grace in your life, in your heart, it's impossible, right? It's totally impossible because it's not something that we can do. I potentially cannot forgive that, right? But at the same time, the love that I've been shown, I feel like I'm now obligated to go and show it. Greg, I love the Lord. And I know yeah. JC and I have a real good relationship, but I would have to f sideline him and be like, yo, I got to handle some shit. I need you to turn your left you. eye because I don't know that I would have it in me to walk away right. and say, I forgive you because I trusted you. If it was a stranger right. who was trying to divert the attention, maybe, I don't know if I could do it with somebody who I call family. Right. That, that's, you're bigger than me. You know, you know, that's that's something where I struggle with, too, all the time and still to this day. But you know what I always kind of align my purpose and my vision with is that if this did not happen in my life, then the people that did this to me would still be in power to go and do this to other people. Right. I know this next thing I'm about to say might sound pretty cheesy, but it's almost like I was a sacrificial lamb yeah. for the next guy. Yeah. Greg, I'm going to ask you a personal question and I'm dying to know. And if it's too deep for you, you don't have to go there. You know, when I got to episode five, you know, I thought to myself, I really hope the victim's family watch this because for me, it would give me a, a, a sense of not closure, but a sense of the truth. Um, do you know or have you talked to them since the documentary came out? 
Unfortunately, I have not. I've been wanting to. Um, you know, I've asked multiple times if I could talk to him. Um, it's been declined every time. It's so heartbreaking. So, like, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm so, so driven, man, to hold p- these people that did me wrong accountable because I received some sort of justice, but do you know who still remains failed? It's the victim. Family. Still and remains the, failed. And the family of the victim. Yes. Let me ask you this other question. You know, I think a lot of times for myself, I just need closure in things. And I need to talk through things and let people know how I feel. Right. Did you ever call Shama and tell her what those three years were like while you were in jail? And have you gotten any closure from the McCarty family at all? No, I haven't. Um, I reached out to Jonathan McCarty when I was in jail and he was in the same jail as me. I actually told my attorney to ask his attorney if I can actually sit down with him face to face and me personally ask him, did you do this? And, and he, I wanted him to look at me in the face. Cause you would have known. Yes or no. Yeah, I would have known. And it, I wanted him to look at me in the face and tell me that he did not do this. And he, he declined my, my, my sit down with him. He didn't want to sit down with me. And so when he did that, that's when I lost all respect for the kid. Um, but at the same time, I can't live each and every day, man, with complete anger towards him because at the end of the day, man, he's got what's coming to him. He's got exactly, and I always got to remember this whole process. And that's the thing, man, is when this happens to you, it's totally natural to go and want to want everybody that's done you wrong to feel pain. Yeah. But at the same time, I always remind myself through scripture that the vengeance is God's. It's not mine. I don't need to go out there and, and, and take the law in my hands. I'm free and I'm going to be as free as I possibly can be. Because you know what? Yeah. To, to, to repay everybody that I, that's fought for me, that loves me, and to repay, to repay God for showing up in my situation and showing a miracle to the world that, you know what? When you get together and you go fight for the truth, then you have a big voice. You're his hands and feet. So when you go and do that, change will happen. I think that's a perfect example of change. And so to repay everybody who's fought for me and loves me, I'm going to go live life, man. You know what I mean? I'm not going to get caught up. I'm not going to get caught up. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Come back next week for an all-new episode of Just the Sip. We are starting 2021 off on the right foot with NASCAR trailblazer Bubba Wallace. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.